0: Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom, with Christopher Lemmerweber and Serge Roklowski.
1: Hey, Chris. Hey, Serge. So today, we're going to talk about hate mail, online harassment, and how you can get paid for receiving spam
0: that sounded like a bunch of traumatic stuff up until the maybe getting paid part but uh but i but the, the topic is urgent right because like right now this is a pretty serious issue as in terms of this stuff actually hitting the federated social web in a way that it, it hasn't before in i mean the the federated social web has hit waves of spam in the past before kind of the modern era but the modern era of the federated social web is suddenly starting to really get hit with spam and and like we're hitting we're having fascism Uh, and, uh, and some, some, and hate speech and stuff like that really start to hit the federated social web at large.
1: Yeah. And we can start off, I think, by looking at previous social networks online, I guess the earliest that we would consider would be email, which has been around for 40 years and spam has been around for about 30 years and spam is still a problem on in in email and, uh, and despite the fact that we've got we've been working on this problem for so long, and you know fascism as it relates to social networks is on the news all the time. It's really really hard to get rid of hate groups and oppressive speech. Even in, even in centralized systems, right? Uh, you know these billion dollar corporations are are struggling to get rid of it. So this is a problem that it's not just for the Fediverse, but here we are, people that care about the Fediverse, and we're starting to see the infiltration of these types of messages into that system. And the two of us have been working on some solutions to try to make that problem less of a problem.
0: Yeah, and it's – it's so, uh, so this is also really important and really timely, especially because the current generation of the Federated Social Web – has spent a lot of time and energy appealing to people who are in marginalized groups, which I think is great. Um, but it, it also means that if you have people who are interested, incentivized to abuse people in the federated social web, that actually makes the, the scenario much more dangerous because that's a lot more of our core group.
1: Right. It becomes it becomes a target. In fact, you know, if you're going to want to find a group of people who are vulnerable, the Fediverse right now are those people. And they also... The fascists also see the Fediverse uh, in its decentralized uh, nature. As they're getting squeezed out of these large centralized systems, they're seeing the Fediverse as their refuge as well. So we have a a serious problem. And to address that, with your help, I wrote a, a paper for Rebooting Web of Trust that outlines lots of approaches to handling these types of messages and and we'll discuss that in a second but we kind of take this problem and they're they're basically two distinct problems one is spam right which is basically just commercial messages trying to to sell you stuff and the other is abuse and abuse can take lots of different forms but you know we this can be online bullying harassment racism hate speech um, but basically oppressive hurtful things and I think you 've said, Chris, that abuse has a higher cost emotionally than spam, yeah, and I, I agree with you there the thing that's the thing that we 're working on though is that we think that the same solution can be as effective in both types of messages that 's right. The cost of abuse
0: is significantly higher because both of them are unwanted messages, and that's what they have in common. They're both, uh, unwanted messages, but abuse also can carry trauma along with it that lasts in a way that spam is effectively a time wave. Um, so, so we, but I, but yeah, I agree. I think that the, the solutions are, are, are very similar. And so we, and, and so this actually, this kind of escalated, right, because initially uh, you were working on that paper for rebooting Web of Trust, and we were having several calls about it, and we were talking about doing most of the work at rebooting web of trust, but uh, then I had kind of a moment of panic about a week and a half ago because of what I perceived as a massive rollout uh, so so there was what I perceived as being such a severe urgency to be able to roll out the right solution mainly because. I, people on the Fediverse who are concerned with these things, and rightly so, wanted to roll something out. And I really was like, oh, no, this is going to kind of this is not going to roll it out the right way. And I think the long term effects, even if it appears to initially look like it's going to help things, is actually going to even be worse in many ways. Even though I think in the short term, a lot of this stuff will help. So so we, so we, I've also been writing up OCAP Pub, um, which is incomplete at the moment. But I think we're basically the stuff that we're talking about in this episode is kind of the synthesis of those two write ups. Um, the your write up on Onwana messages and my write up on on OCAP pub, which eventually hopefully will converge.
1: Yeah, those two, those two, uh, papers will turn to. Into... Well, they'll at least connect in a more substantial way and then we'll be able to use them to to build some demonstrations and hopefully those will get adopted by the Fediverse at large. And I agree with you. The situation right now with the, the current proposals that um, Fediverse software authors are looking at um, reminds me a lot of post-9-11 US reaction where in some ways the... Um, the reaction is overblown and doesn't address the actual problem. And, so, and
0: we yeah. we 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 have an added constraint, right? Is that we can't we we're working in a decentralized system, and even centralized systems, as we said, have struggle with these things. But in a decentralized system, we can't stop people from setting up nodes or accounts, and so our, whatever we do has to account for that.
1: Right, and and in fact, I think this is an important piece here, which is that a lot of the people that join the Fediverse as a refuge because they were oppressed have come on and with with the introduction of these fascists what's happened is they're they're really questioning the fundamentals of what is this fediverse what is mastodon and emploma and, and you know an activity pub all, what what is all this and there is some, there are some people who want to move back to totally centralized systems, um, which I don't think will solve the problem. And I think that's evident by, you know, Facebook and Twitter and others not being able to follow, solve this problem. So we think we can solve the problem while keeping the freedom of a decentralized system.
0: We could at least significantly improve the the situation.
1: That's right. No one will ever be able to entirely re- make this problem go away but if it's if it's reduced to a low simmer um that I think will be good enough uh in, in that that the the freedoms of decentralization are so important that we can't you know it'll never it'll never be a hundred percent we can't have a hundred percent control and have something decentralized right so so why don't we start out
0: by overviewing um kind of what I think you and I would consider to be insufficient foundational pro- approaches, which is to say, approaches that might be useful in like a multi-layered system, but none of the uh, ones that we're about to talk in in this section are should be the foundation of a of a system. They shouldn't be the first layer of defense.
1: Yeah, and I and I, I mentioned some of these in in my paper, although not as explicitly as I think as we're going to do here. Actually, I want to kind of go back to email a little bit and show how the, the approaches there have largely not worked because they are trying to tack on these kind of controls way after the fact. And what we have the opportunity to do here is is actually in, is do better integration. So, so the first thing is, and, and actually, before we get into what doesn't work, let's also talk about where why we're in a better position on the Fediverse which is that a lot of emails spam control is simply verifying identity so is the sender who the sender claims to be and for anybody who's an email administrator you know you'll know you know SPF and DKIM and those are just ways of trying to figure out is the sender who the sender claims to be
0: and and we're doing better than that already on the fediverse
1: that's right because we, we because we already have http uh, signatures, and because we're already assuming in an ActivityPub situation that you're, that you're communicating over a secure channel, either via SSL or TLS, or using something like Tor, uh, Tor Onion services. So in either case, your communication is encrypted securely. So you've got you've got uh, server-to-server encryption, and you've got I, you've got uh, identity um, through through HTTP signatures, which you don't have in email. Right. So so I guess that,
0: um, I mean, so this, the, the next section, I think, of uh, approaches moving on from email is kind of the, maybe the most obvious next uh, direction. And, uh, and I mean, we've seen it rolled out a lot, especially as kind of the what people have been doing as a first line of attack, especially ever since Gamergate, uh, when people started to roll out block lists that, that they would subscribe to, right? Um, or even just blocking individual actors. So, um, the blocking approach is basically this entity, this person seems to be bad or doing or saying things I don't want to have interactions with. So I'm just going to cut them off, right? And, and it's easy enough to do this when it's, A couple of people right and when it starts to be more than a couple of people um in the federated social web you might end up saying okay well i'm actually just going to consider it on the server level and i'll just block this entire server right um but the the problem with that is that um, if it's really easy for people to set up nodes and accounts then you're kind of playing whack-a-mole right administrators are right like and, and that's very exhausting
1: yeah, I mean right now I run my own instance and I must get at least one message a day saying, "Oh, here's another instance to block. Here's another instance to block." And it gets it's it's very challenging to keep up, especially as the number goes up. And frankly, you also start to realize that you don't even know, you know, who to trust in terms of these block lists. So now you need to have some, somebody managing the block list and you have to start subscribing to them. And I don't think block lists are always a bad thing. In fact, I think that they can have a place Mm -hmm. in a comprehensive approach, but right now it's, as you say, it's really easy, right? How long does it take to set up a server? Maybe 30 seconds to set up an instance?
0: It depends on what deployment mechanism you use, but it can be as cheap as that, yeah.
1: And my point is that if somebody is determined, you know, and they have an incentive, whether that incentive is economic in the case of spam or um, let's say personal in the case of abuse, that they'll be able to set up new instances faster than we will be able to network-wide block them. And that will always be the case. No matter how good we get at blocking, somebody will always be able to get through simple block lists. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's even the
0: case on centralized servers, right? Because you see uh, people set up sock puppet accounts all the time, and it's very hard to actually tell what is and isn't a sock puppet uh, account. And increasingly gets harder, right? Because these tools are getting better. People are starting to generate profiles that they generate based off of um, like kind of like an automatic procedural amalgamation of what profiles that they think other people may be sympathetic to. Like this is, that was one of the big reveals as in terms of uh, what happened in the last election is that, you know, a bunch of accounts were generated, auto-generated based off of, you know, other people's accounts. So, so block lists are pretty challenging in that type of approach. Um, and, and so, so, so what, what's an administrator going to do, right? An administrator is getting exhausted, not sure really what to do at this point forward. And is probably going to say, okay, you know what? I'm throwing up my hands. This is just too much work. Um, What I'm going to do instead of, you know, do I trust, um, you know, every single, you know, user that's coming through is I'm going to say, you know what, I just trust five servers. There are five major servers I know I'm friends with. I'll connect to those five. But what happens when suddenly you notice that a bunch of other servers are doing the same thing? Suddenly your users can't communicate with these other servers because they're doing the same thing. And they may not even be the same five servers that you have. And suddenly we end up having massive defederation. So this is the whitelist or allow list approach. And it it inevitably results in re-centralization. And in fact, we've even seen re-centralization of this form happen in email, right? Like it's, you and I both have done email self-hosting and it can be very hard to get messages through some of the major providers right now
1: yeah I mean I think for anyone who's who's ever had to say to someone, "Did you check your spam folder or heard someone else say, "Did you check your spam folder because they're coming from a smaller um, you know a smaller let's say email instance, you know they know that this this is a real problem, and it's even worse here because we're a small budding network, and we don't we don't want people to be silenced just because they're maybe running you know a small community that's exactly you know it's funny because it's exactly the issue that a lot of people came to the fediverse for was so that their small community could be could be represented and be able to talk to a larger community so we don't want we don't want to go backwards yeah so so i mean so you've heard me use this
0: phrase before i i sometimes refer to this as being the nation stateification of the fediverse and it actually it gets it's not only about spam and abuse it's also about what
1: expected and acceptable behavior is between different servers. Yeah, so let's so let's talk about like a fictitious example. Um let's say we have a bunch of people who are really enthusiastic about like pinball and uh they they want to come to the Fediverse because they feel oppressed by uh Facebook and their approaches to pinball. So they they go on and they register uh, pinball.social, which I think I'll register right after we're done recording this. And now they've come onto the Fediverse, but they don't want to be, you know, they they don't want to deal with those people that make video games and who harass them because of video games, right? But at the same time, maybe they do want to have uh, c- communication with people who are art enthusiasts or maybe card game enthusiasts, right? So um, we we want to make sure that the pinball dot socials of the world are represented at the table, and it's not just the giant instances, right? And I mean. So
0: this this happens in terms of uh, part of the problem is, is that um, communities do need to set up boundaries as in terms of what's acceptable for that community. I actually 100 percent believe that the weird thing is about assuming that the community is at the instance level. And this is where the nation statification type thing comes in. The instance level type thing we end up resulting in with a kind of block list and whitelist type stuff. We end up resulting in weird you know, all the kind of xenophobia that happens with nation states where you have this kind of border guard type behavior. And yeah, border guards in the, the the Fediverse can't take away your stuff. They can't imprison you. I mean, they might be able to take away your messages and stuff like that. But they it's still this kind of, you know, suspicion of other communities around kind of the border of the nation state. And And I actually think that this happens because we assumed where communities were in the wrong place, um, the assumption that instances are the community I think is wrong an instance may be a community, but I don't think it's the foundational community and and, and part of this is incentive oriented for it's been very this narrative that instances are the uh, where communities live has helped encourage a lot of people to run communities, which is in one way really great. Because it, it's like, oh, I want to set up stuff for you know my pin- pinball friends and stuff like that. But I think in reality, it's not quite the same. Um, if we if we look at the world we live in day to day, people's communities actually are often very different. So let's say Alice has three different communities that she's part of. She's a math professor at work. Uh, she is with her friends, a tabletop gamer. And then in her off time, she also likes to write fan fiction. And each of those communities has different norms. She's not going to act the same way that she acts around the tabletop as a math professor. And that may even be socially inappropriate for her to do so. And that's okay. Like, those, those power dynamics are different. Those relationships are different. And she's still Alice in all three of those places, but her behavior is different and i think that's normal human behavior and that's not duplicitous and the funny thing is that email doesn't have this problem in an email system alice might have one email account maybe she has several but she might have one account and she still might be on three different mailing lists as you know for her job for with her friends as a gamer and with the fan fiction stuff and there's no expectation that alice's behavior has to be the same on each of those mailing lists
1: yeah, I would say that's true, I would, I, and I think that's p- that we have come to fraction fractionize people's identities and maybe a little too much, although I, I don't necessarily think it's the same level of a problem that you're presenting it here. I, I think it's okay, for example, that a math professor may not want uh, her fan fiction to be seen, but you're right that currently... The norm on the Fediverse is to create three separate accounts.
0: Right, and and so I mean we could instead on the Fediverse have somebody have one account, but they join three different groups, right? And then in and we don't really have groups implemented as richly as we'd like to, but it could be that groups end up being the place where communities happen rather than instances. And I mean instances. Barely our communities right now. Anyway, I don't really think of the instance that I'm on as being particularly um, like the main community that I interact with. I do consider, due to the way that things are rolled out, that it is kind of the current level of protection that I have against bad a- actions. But, but you know, um, but I, I actually think that maybe that assumption is also wrong, even though I really appreciate the work that, um, that, that the administrator of my server does. Um, I think that there's a phrase by Mark Stiegler, who's in the OCAP community that says, perimeter security is eggshell security. You know, it seems pretty tough when you tap on it, but if you make a pull, uh, a hole through at any point, you can suck out the whole yolk. And that, that might sound kind of weird, but most of our assumptions about where the security of our systems happens, happens around these borders. It happens around kind of the nation state type level. Uh, and I think that, that we can change our assumption about where that those exist. Um, relatedly, I think we're not going to talk about in this episode, because we already have a whole episode about object capabilities. The other mistake that you could end up having, as in terms of how you'd end up resolving this thing, would be using access control lists. But you can listen to our object capability episode with Kate Sills. We already discovered, discussed that whole thing. But the,
1: Yeah, sorry. We're essentially doing access control lists, right? Every time you click mute, block you know, whether whether it's at a, an individual actor level or whether it's at an instance level, that's access control lists. And that's exactly what's not working right now. And and the reason it doesn't work is that on the Fediverse, you have an assumption that of wanting to connect with people and wanting to see and be, you know, discover new people and, and new uh, interests. So you, you, you want to be able to see that. It, it's not a closed system. It's an open system. And at the same time, uh, it's very That makes it easy for an abuser to simply create you know, millions of new instances and new accounts, and that makes it difficult to, to protect yourself from that. Right. So what we need is a system that can handle infinite numbers of attackers, uh, or at least near infinite, while at the same time allowing for discoverability uh, and, and open communication in the way that we assume that a network will have to have. Right. So
0: the next big assumption I think people might make as in terms of how we might prevent abuse is content filtering, which is massively popular, right? Like Paul Graham wrote A Plan for Spam in the early to mid 2000s. I don't remember exactly where, but that kind of set the tone of everything since. But I mean, maybe people aren't familiar with what that is.
1: Before Plan for Spam... There was just people using rule-based systems. Right. It was handwritten and, rule-based systems. Yeah. So basically, you would say like, "Oh, is does this email have a word that I that I don't like in it? Right. Or is it coming from a country that I don't like or whatever? And there may and, be some legit reasons to do that, right? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're arachnophobic. You want to just filter out
0: all emails that say spider. That that could be okay, right? Just if you do it like on one or two things. So so it may make sense to do a little bit of this type of filtering, and it may be, as we said with a lot of things, you know, supportive stuff. Um, and as you said, uh, it was initially lists, but then we kind of moved on to Bayesian filtering and machine learning and things like that, right? Um, but the, those same tools are actually kind of producing things in the reverse direction. Uh, generative content from neural networks is actually getting, like, extremely good. And these things also misfire a lot. Um, you know, there have been a lot of well-known instances of like YouTube taking down LGBT content, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Basically, anytime you have computers doing these actions, they're going, they're not going to be able to do a a great job because frankly, you know, all you have to do is build another computer that, that, that acts like the first one and then do a bunch of tests against it. And eventually, uh. You know, well, eventually, these computers won't be able to tell the difference and and also Bayesian and other artificial intelligence systems that filter based on what a message or an act or an activity look like are based on the assumption that the majority of content is good content right so so they they're based on the idea that the most of what they're going to see is good and that there's going to be a tiny bit of bad. But as the amount of bad increases and exceeds the good, that makes the problem for the computers pretty intense. So while content filtering can be a piece of the you know of the puzzle, it it can't be the foundation, right? It can be a part of a healthy breakfast, but you can't say, well, I'm going to use content filtering and then problem goes away. No, it it, it has to be only one piece of a larger uh, solution.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I think we've got the answer, right? It's reputation scoring. This will be fine. We why don't we just vote on how trustworthy we think a person is and we'll develop some sort of trustworthiness metric to be able to score people on and i think this will be fine this is the right direction right
1: and in fact if you've read uh cory Doctorow's down and out in the magic kingdom and he has got his wuffy system right it's perfect right the more good things you do the higher reputation is And if you do bad things, your reputation goes down. And that that seems like the perfect solution to all of our problems.
0: Ooh, except I heard that Cory Doctorow doesn't like the Wuffy system anymore that he wrote about.
1: Apparently, he doesn't like it when it gets implemented in real life like it has in China where it's caused um, really horrendous situations for people that have low reputation scores. And of course, with any reputation score system, a new, um, a new person is going to be at a disadvantage. And of course, if there are people who have a vendetta against you, maybe they might artificially lower your score. Mm. So the more we think about this, actually, the worse reputation scoring seems. Yeah.
0: I mean, and, and we don't even have to look outside. Well, I mean, this is a US-centric thing to say, but I don't have to look outside of even the US to be able to see what a problem this is. I mean, I think it's pretty – it doesn't take a lot of research to see how problematic classist, racist, etc., like the American credit system is.
1: Yep. And even, even if these systems aren't explicitly – Uh, racist or classist, what they do is they embed assumptions that, you know, what what happens is that other markers become proxies for uh, racism or sexism or other isms. So obviously, reputation scoring is not is not a is not a great solution. So maybe we should just pack it in, Chris, and centralize again, and just say, you know what, we're going to have one big giant website that we all log into. You know, and, and actually, we've seen people make this argument. It's like, hey, why don't we just do the Wikipedia model of having one giant place that we all just go and do our um, online stuff with? Hmm. Um.
0: Yeah. Except that we've. I think. We've seen that this doesn't work, right? Like it's the the very mode reason that people got motivated to w- move towards decentralized social networks is the same reason why moving back to them would be a problem, which is that you know most of these systems are based off of kind of a surveillance capitalist model, which means that the way that they operate is by you know selling as much advertisement revenue as possible, and that motivation isn't. Necessarily aligned with what's healthy for the users, right? And we've also seen that large companies, when uh, when confronted with you know um, whether or not holding up human rights in a country is more important than uh, being able to do business there, you know, if a country says, "Sorry, you can't actually even uh, you can't even like we can't allow you to have your your participants to have privacy." on this social network, um, because we want to actually, you know, oppress anybody who is interested in human rights. Most companies will say, well, okay, you know, technically we, we have to, we're, we're, we're required to do what's best by our shareholders. Sorry. Uh, We'll just do that.
1: So, so instead of that, we need a system that can address all of the above issues and in my paper, Keeping Unwanted Messages off the Fediverse, I outline a series of approaches that are designed to work in conjunction with one another. And in your paper, you describe uh, what you're calling OCAPPUB, and I would say that OCAPPUB is a foundational layer that we will use to then layer all these other things on top of. But I think instead of trying to explain OCAP Pub, it's better if if we talk in an analogy first, that I think will make all of this make sense to anyone who's listening. So I'm going to use an analogy that I think will make sense to people, even though it's a little bit out there. I'm going to tell a little story, and it's going to be about a free software enthusiast. Her name is Alice, and she goes to a free software conference and wants to meet people at the free software conference who will interested in her awesome project. So let's start with, in this world, um, the conference wants people to be able to connect with one another and makes it, wants to make it really easy to find one another after the conference. So they have like a little like, directory of all the attendees and this directory has their names, um, at least the name on their badge, their preferred pronouns, and a phone number And I know that we would use email, but in my little story, we're all using phone numbers. And so she goes to this conference, and at this conference, she meets two people. Their names are Bob and Carol. And Bob and Carol seem cool, and she just says to them, oh, if you want to get a hold of me, just look me up in the directory. And they do, and after the conference, they can communicate with her. Now, the problem is that after the conference everyone at the conference can get a hold of her including eric the spammer and eric just starts sending her really bad stuff but now she's screwed because her her phone number is is out there and so he's texting her and calling her and that's no good so um, we can see that that's kind of what we have right now with, with email right you put your email address out there your fediverse uh, address out there, and everyone can see it and everyone can contact you so that 's no good and that's that 's the starting place so let 's imagine instead that uh, Alice, our protagonist, goes to the conference and she still has a phone number in the directory, but that phone number doesn 't reach Alice directly. Alice has a secretary and alice 's secretary is named Phil, and Phil is really good Phil filters out all of the bad stuff. So if Eric the the jerk tries to send her texts or call, Phil's going to say no no no. I don't allow those kind of things to get to to Alice. And that's great. Now The problem is that Phil can be a little bit restrictive and sometimes maybe a little bit overly so. So Alice may want people to be able to get a hold of her without having to go through Phil. So if you remember that she, she met Bob and Carol. So now instead of just saying, go look at, you know, go look me up in the directory. Now she hands Bob a business card and that business card has a phone number that will reach her directly. It'll ring her phone without going through Phil, but that number is specific to that business card. And when she hands it over to Bob, now Bob has it and she hands another one to Carol, but the phone number that she gives to Carol is not the same phone number as she gave to Bob and is not the same phone number that's in the directory, but either Bob or Carol can now call her directly. And this works out great. So Bob call, you know, Bob calls her a week later, and they start working on a new project together, and all is well. Carol, on the other hand, turns out that Carol is um, not a person that, in hindsight, Alice would have wanted to give her phone number to, because every night uh, at two in the morning, Carol calls Alice to talk about her pet rock collection, and Uh, She talks about her views on the weather and everything else. And it's just too annoying. And even though Alice has asked Carol politely not to do this, Carol keeps doing it. So at some point, Alice just says no more. And she types something in her phone. And now that phone number goes away. So I think here is a good place to stop and start looking at this analogy and start breaking it down a little bit. So as we said, the current way that that the fediverse works is a lot like having just a central directory. If I have your if I have your actor identity, which is essentially analogous to your email, I can just contact you. And instead, we're we're creating these uh, with these business cards, we're creating object capabilities, which is a topic that I know Chris you're really interested in, which is why we did a whole episode about them.
0: Yep. And I I mean They really are object capabilities in the sense that an object capability is something that's it's un it's unforgeable in the sense that you couldn't just make it um, or guess it or, you know, maybe these phone numbers are really long or something like that. Or or in such a way that uh, when Alice hands those out to Bob and Carol, it's not that Bob and Carol could have figured out that they would have mapped to Alice in the first place.
1: Yeah, thirty, you know, thirty-digit or fifty-digit or a hundred-digit phone number uh, is not something that either one of them would have been able to guess. Right. Right. Or
0: even a QR code. She they just scan it off the business card and it just starts calling Alice.
1: Yeah, I, li- I like that idea. So we've got this idea that each of them has a separate number and so a separate capability. So it's not that she's handing out one number that's just her direct line. Everybody's getting a separate capability. And the other piece about this is that these capabilities are revocable, that she can turn one of them off, which is in fact what she does with Carol, who is just calling her at all the, you know, all the worst times. So she can say, I don't want this capability to exist anymore. And she flips that switch and now it's off. Mm -hmm. This is great. um, But let's take this analogy a little bit further. With Bob, now Bob meets someone at work, um, and their name is Dave. So now Bob goes back to work, and Bob works with a guy named Dave, and Dave's interested in a lot of the same stuff that Bob is interested and Bob tells Dave about the experience that, that, that he had at this conference meeting Alice, and... Dave is like, wow, she sounds pretty great. I'd kind of like to get to know her, and maybe we can work on the same projects together. So Bob can now hand Dave the phone number that that he got from Alice, and maybe he can scan it in via QR code or something. And now Dave gets a hold of, of Alice directly. And this is a feature, right? This is a transferable capability. That's right.
0: Now that they've established a good connection, Alice
1: could even say, "You know what? Here, I'll give you your own capability." Right. So she might say, "Hey, Dave, I'm going to give you a phone number that's that's for you and not the one that Bob had." Hmm. Um, and she might also say, "Hey, Bob, now that I know you've given this, I'm going to give you a different one because I don't I don't want you to reuse that same one anymore." Sure. So so this is great. Um, Dave seems like a a, a cool dude, and now. Dave gives that capability. We're just, gonna, we're just gonna say directly. Gives that phone number to Frank, and Frank is really not a good person, and just is is not respectful of Alice at all. So now, when uh, so she's gonna she's gonna look at the um at her phone and she's going to say oh this is the number that I gave that I gave to Dave because remember she gave Dave a new number um but it's not Dave that she's talking to it's this Frank guy and Frank is just not okay so she needs to be able to revoke that number that she that she gave to Dave so that she can get so that she can stop Frank right and and dave still has an access because he can
0: still call back through the general directory or even ask bob who he knows has access to to alice to basically say oops i screwed up
1: yep now now the other option here instead of you know all this happening one by one is that of course alice could instead of giving one phone number she could give like a batch of them. She could give like five phone numbers at once and she could say, Hey, give each one of these to your friends. And that might actually be better because this way it's not Dave gives his phone number, you know, to a third party. But in fact, he's like, Oh, I've got one of these other ones. I'll just use one of these other ones. And in this world that we're creating this, you know, this story, phone numbers are are totally inexpensive and we can imagine that they're just like email addresses, right? Which with, you know, they can be created. They cost nothing, to create, so she can make as many of them as she wants. So she can make as many phone numbers as she wants. She can hand off batches of phone numbers, and maybe even maybe Dave has two different numbers. Maybe he's got a, a number for his office phone for Alice, and maybe he's got a number on his personal his mobile phone for Alice. So he he can divvy those those numbers up uh, how he how he prefers. But the idea is that he can have multiple. And he, can, and he can use them uh, in, in, in more flexible ways. And this is not possible if, if we were just doing access control lists because we wouldn't have that capability of being able to use the transferable, um, you know, the transferable, you know, essentially capability, right, the phone number is the capability of being able to reach her directly, nor um, would we be able to revoke that capability. Instead, we'd have to create individual blocks for every single person that she talks to. That's right. And so, so here's one of the you may be wondering, well, how do all of these phone,
0: different phone numbers that Alice is handing out work? And, and I think that the, the secret here um, kind of ties into, well, okay, I'm gonna, I, I can't resist, because I'm a fantasy and science fiction nerd, bringing in the idea of true names, which is that, you know this wizard has this secret name that if you know that name, you can control the wizard. Right. But that wizard doesn't actually give it out to anyone. And Alice in this system can actually have some what can happen is that both the secretary actually forwards incoming calls to Alice's true number that she never hands out. And also the other phone numbers that she hands out also forward to her true number. But she never hands out the actual like true version of Alice effectively. Um, and and it's really what the real key thing here is that this is just proxying
1: yeah each of each of these phone numbers is proxying to her and again if we want and if we want to make this more computer sciencey each of these phone numbers are are essentially actors, and their action is to to forward on to the to the next um you know onto her directly but but none of the other actors in the system ever get to know what her direct true name is, only the actors that she creates. That's right. She's in control the entire time. That's right. And uh
0: um and so the and you know the the whole phone number type thing is basically your public that's your public persona. So I'm C Web forward slash at C Weber on the Fediverse. Um I can keep that. That can be my um, d- phone number directory equivalent in this story. I don't have to throw away, we don't have to throw away our current system to be able to add this type of system.
1: That's right. And in fact, for, for backwards compatibility, you know, if, if, if you're dealing with an activity pub server that doesn't understand these, you know, these, cap- these OCAP pub boxes, that's okay. It'll just keep using the regular one. And so it's completely backwards compatible.
0: That that may depend on what kinds of um, friction we add to the system, though, right? Cause,
1: that's true. But and I, I think we should talk about that next, right? Which is what what are, what kind of filtering does Phil actually do?
0: Right? Because there there are multiple approaches that that can happen, right? Phil could take. The classic approach, you know, the plan for spam approach, where where Phil asks a person to deliver their message and then just relays it entirely, and actually, you know, has some sort of content filter that Phil applies. That's one route, and we don't have to throw
1: that route away. Um, and I think, by the way, that's that's you know, it's 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 well, bleh. that approach of content filtering is well tested, and and it might actually be okay. In many circumstances, right it'll certainly work well for for a lot of types of, of commercial spam right because at some point the spammer has to tell you something uh, about you know what they're selling or why you should click that link or whatever so so that'll work pretty well and it might and so you know this might also work for abuse messages because we can do things like sentiment analysis and we could use image description filtering and other things so so content filtering might work but we also know that that it's pretty error prone and um it's pretty easy to game so i don't think that that should be the only approach and we've talked about alternatives and well well, um, so let's throw in another familiar one which is right you know like phil
0: in your story really could be a human that Alice trusts to be able to screen her messages, right? You know, maybe Alice is under a deluge of a bunch of really crappy harassed, like, targeted messages, and she just says to her friend Phil, like, Phil, like, could you just watch my account for now and just only forward me the things? I know you have more emotional capability than I do to deal with this problem. So that is... A system that could happen, there could be somebody who manages a moderator queue, but of course, that doesn't really scale up to the whole system.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, yes. And in fact, a lot of people who have a lot of money and a ton of contacts, in fact, do pay someone to do exactly this. But as you say, we can't have everyone in the Fediverse also have a a person that's doing all this for them all the time. So we need to be able to automate this. So so I think the a key
0: observation between all these approaches, though, is that it's more friction, effectively, than the, let me give you a direct line type thing, right? All of these things have more friction. And in a certain sense, that's because all of these things have cost. When you don't know somebody, there's always a cost involved. It's just that our current systems assume that the cost is on... Uh, put the cost on the receiver of the message rather than the sender of the message.
1: Since I think, since I, think I know where you're going, I'm going to say one more thing before, before we go there, which is that you can think about those direct lines kind of like whitelists, but whitelists that are created at the capabilities level, not at the actor identification level. Right, and that's that's an important distinction. So we are in fact using whitelists. Yes, well, they're they're similar to
0: whitelists in that they're intentional, right? They're intentionally allowing something, but they're much more dynamic than whitelists are, which are very fixed. They're 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 in fact even handing out consent to somebody, and that's why I kind of call this system a network of consent. Is that somebody's explicitly handing? about as much consent as we can model in the system. I'm not claiming we can model all of it, but we're allowing people to set up intentional, consensual relationships with other people. And like any real consent system, consent can be revoked and there is accountability.
1: Yeah, exactly. And accountability comes in knowing where each phone number was given to previously. That's So, so, uh, And then the revocability, we've talked about that several times. Yep. So you brought up the idea that in communication systems and that we have currently it's the receiver who bears all the costs for bad messages and we know that that's not great because uh you know it's it's it means that a spammer only has incentive to send they never have a disincentive to send spam right it's so cheap why not do it and by cheap we mean essentially free
0: yeah so so what we could do instead is actually For the public inbox, we can actually attach a cost. So let's say instead, um, if Eric wanted to send Alice a message, and Eric was a spammer earlier in the story, um, Eric can send a message to Alice's publicly listed phone number. um, But this time, uh, the way that it goes through is Alice's number says, when Eric tries to call it, says, sorry, in order for me to pass on this message you've got to attach two stamps to your message. And so Eric could attach those two stamps, but now Alice could decide, you know what? This is a spam. I'm not going to, I'm not happy with it. And then Alice can keep the stamps. And in fact, in that scenario, Alice is paid to be spammed. But in general, the economic structure has shifted where to the point where Eric, in general will run out of money if eric ends up trying to spam a bunch of people because eric is going to end up having to pay all those people to spam them
1: that's right so eric is is, is having to pay something we haven't defined really what a stamp is and i don't think we're going to do that because we think that stamps are a nice thing because we're not saying that 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 eric is going to pay dollars or pesos or shekels there's so- there's right. a
0: lot of different options to implement the abstract idea of stamps, so we're going to and you know they might even be something that's not even a real currency right There's that's hash right. cash and there's things like that, which are just you know and and there are, there are multiple approaches. We're going to lay this out in the the papers we're writing about the different options that
1: people have, but for now, let's just
0: think about it in the abstract stamp approach. of stamps and, yeah.
1: and and the nice thing that I like about your stamps analogy is that if if it turns out that Eric isn't a spammer. She could, you know, Alice can say, Oh, you know, here are your stamps back.
0: Yeah, and she can give him back either both stamps or one stamp, right? It may even be that the service that she's on keeps one stamp and gives the other stamp to Alice, right? Um, or just gives or keeps one stamp and gives the other stamp to Eric, right? So there's, there's really a lot of options in terms of refunding all or none of or part, the, or part, the things yeah. in the system or part in the system. Um, so, so. But this changes the economic structure, right? And, and so how does this map to abuse, right? So we've said the cost for abuse is higher because trauma sticks with you, right? And I'm not going to claim actually that it's possible for us to do the ideal thing, which is to remove the possibility of trauma altogether from a system because that's the ideal goal. But I don't know how to design a system that can do that. Um, so what we could do at least is allow... Alice to set her threshold of messages in the system. She could say, okay, you know what? A bunch of people are being jerks to me. They're all sending me a bunch of hate messages. You know what? If those hate messages are going to go through, sorry, you've got to send me 50 stamps. And now, right now, Alice is, you know, like people who really want to do harm for Alice are actually inadvertently um, paying Alice, which actually, if they want to do harm to Alice, that... Might not feel uh, as incentivizing towards them um, for them because they're actually just, you know, throwing cash her way. Um, if indeed this stuff, this type of system does operate like cash, right? Now, I'm not saying that this is necessarily great either. Alice may actually say, you know what, I can't deal with this at all, and actually just disable her public account for a while. You know, or take one of the other methods. You know, hand it to Phil to you know actually review every message, etc. But the nice thing is, is that for all of the intentional consensual uh, connections that Alice set up, all of those connections continue to operate. Alice... That's right.
1: That's the important part. Is yes. That even while like, so let's imagine that this is something like a gamer gate, and all these messages that are going to Alice are. For the most part, abuse. Phil could create, you know, Phil could could change the fee structure in terms of stamps at, at will. So it could be that, oh, well, you know, when this first started, everything seems normal and it's just the normal two stamps. But as the amount of messages increases, Phil's like, I don't know about this. This seems weird. And so Phil's like, I'm going to increase it to five stamps and 10 stamps and 20 stamps.
0: And and Phil may Phil, Phil may be an automatic agent, or Phil may be something that Alice directly toggles
1: and says, you know, hey, increase
0: it to ten, increase it to fifty, whatever. Right.
1: Phil Phil the filter. We're gonna we're gonna say it doesn't really matter if Phil the filter is a person or a computer program. Uh, in in either case, it you know it's going to set that policy. And what what can happen here is that, as you say, all of Alice's regular Uh, connections can still go through. Everyone who already talks to Alice can still talk to Alice without impediment. And in fact, um, even if somebody has to pay a hundred stamps to talk to Alice, if it's a positive supportive message, they're going to get maybe their entire, maybe they'll get all their stamps back. Right. Right. Because Alice is like, Hey, thank you so much for that. Here's your hundred stamps back. That's right. And you know, also, if you know somebody
0: that knows Alice, as we've seen already, delegation helps here because you can ask that person to actually, you know, for capability to speak to Alice. And here, here's something we haven't spoken about. That person could also possibly set up an intermediary capability where they could hand a proxy that goes through their proxy. So if they see it being abused, they can cut off access.
1: Yeah, and that could be very useful. Um, we we I see that a lot where it's like somebody is in a very bad situation and they say, "Hey, send the you know right now it's send an email to me and I'll send it to them." And as you say, like they could be the one, uh, you know, an intermediate could be the one that say, "Hey, send messages to me," and and maybe their process is manual. Like they're the manual, they're acting like the fill the filter here, um, and th- in that they can also send messages directly to Alice. So, yeah, this is so there's a lot of possibility here. Um, And there's also um, and, and I go into this more in the paper, right, of what are the various possibilities in terms of what the types of things Phil could be doing. And I think this this stamps idea is really exciting. I think it's the most exciting idea, but it's fundamentally built on this capabilities model. And I'm going to change my my paper doesn't currently use the same name that Chris's does, but it, we will eventually converge. Yeah. So um, I think I think I call it preferred inbox in my current version of the paper. So depending on when you might be looking it up, you'll either see preferred inbox or OCAP pub or maybe create a new name. Who knows? But the idea well, is that that this is this is what it is.
0: Well, and and we should say so. The the stuff we're saying in this episode. Um, A lot of these ideas are not new ideas. You know, we've borrowed a lot from the object capability community. Um, And, you know, and and even some ideas like the, you know, paying stamps or something like that. Um, I even remember that Bill Gates floated some sort of idea at that at some point. But of course, he wanted you to pay Microsoft. But we're saying you'd pay Alice, right? And that's that's, a huge
1: distinction, right? The difference between paying Microsoft, you know, and paying Alice is that is well the biggest one is that Alice is the one who's going to get the fee right? right that's 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 the beautiful part here
0: yep and uh even if you if if you hate Alice then you know maybe throwing $5 at her um isn't very it, it's 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 kind of hard to justify um throwing those $5 that way i mean it might not be right you know it's some people still may decide to send hurtful messages through but we can reduce the amount and we can at least leave it in Alice's control to decide what her threshold and what her her mechanisms are
1: it also is important to to say here that phil the filter isn't saying that isn't guaranteeing that just because you paid your 50 stamps that you'll automatically get to talk to alice that's just one of the things that phil could be filtering so for example phil might say oh yeah pay me 50 stamps and then look at the content and go well this looks like crap <laughs> and yep. still and still never deliver the message to alice that's right there is no there's no requirement
0: and you know and and for really to hurt spammers extra this really makes honeypots way more effective right because you can just set up a bunch of fake accounts and then you can put you know you require that somebody pays to send spam to those fake accounts and suddenly uh, it becomes very expensive to be a spammer
1: so so these are all techniques and we're going to be giving you more detail um as we shake it out <laughs> as we shake it out yeah because you know Chris and I are still working on this and we're making this um this a reality so and, and like we said we this got accelerated right because we we were
0: originally the original goal and it's still a goal I think is to work on this stuff at rebooting love of trust and, and maybe actually but but we accelerated it a bit because of our concern about what was happening on the fediverse um but you know maybe we should actually take a moment and talk about the upcoming conferences because I think that there's some exciting stuff coming out well,
1: I was going to say, Chris, are you going to talk about where else? Because uh, I've submitted uh, this as a paper at this other conference called APConf. That's right. So, um, so we're also
0: running a conference called ActivityPubConf or APConf. Um, you can go to my website dustycloud.org. Look on the blog. There's information on how to um, attend. There's no. Rec- there's no. Uh, um, we're not charging people to attend. Uh, It is in Prague, actually immediately after Rebooting Web of Trust, because we want the communities of Rebooting Web of Trust um, and ActivityPubConf to talk to each other, because that's where a lot of these ideas have come from in the first place. Um, But there's no requirement to go to one to go to the other. Uh, And uh, I'm also really excited to say that um, Mark Miller, uh, Mark S. Miller um, of Object Capability Fame, who... To be honest, out of all the places that I have scraped for ideas on how we can improve the Fediverse, uh it's all, more than anyone else I have turned to Mark Miller's writings. And so to have Mark Miller keynote at Activity Pubconf is just really exciting for me. Yeah, that's um, huge. So so we're also looking for speakers, so if you'd like to apply as a speaker, there's an the opportunity to do that, but there is limited um, there, it is a limited amount of attendees, so, um, I, I can't guarantee that, um, if you, if you apply that we will continue to have space, but I, I do encourage you to take a look and, and apply.
1: Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, we're going to bring you more things as we, as we develop them. We've got other projects that we haven't talked about yet, um, that are, that are currently churning. This has been a really active summer for both Chris and I. Separately and together, and uh, there's so much going on. So yeah. um, let's, let's um, wrap this up and say that if you'd like to um, interact with us, we are on hash Libra Lounge on Freenode if you use IRC. If you're on the Fediverse, we're at LibraLounge at floss.social. You can email us at, at – uh, sorry, you can email us. It's podcast, podcast at LibraLounge.org. Uh, thanks a lot and I am really looking forward to the next few episodes. So see you all soon. Yeah, see ya. Take care. You've been listening to Libre Lounge. You can find
0: and subscribe to us at librelounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International license. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Joff which is waived into the public domain under cc0 and which you can find on opengameart.org. If you'd like to support Chris Webber's work on this and other user freedom projects, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. Thanks for listening. See you next time.